Hello, and welcome to another episode of This Ordinary Life. This is one of the short episodes. Uh, this short is based on the last podcast, uh, Lost in the Wild. And I want to thank Andrew again for coming on. Uh, I've heard the story twice now. Once uh, when I first heard it, um, he lives across the street from me, so he just told me it in the front yard a little bit, and it was crazy. I knew I had to get him on to, to, to tell his story to everybody. If you haven't checked out that podcast, please do. Andrew recounts uh, an experience that he had being lost in the wilderness while hunting. Uh, it's a very interesting story, uh, very scary. <laughs> so, yeah, please check it out. Uh, in this short, I like to kind of go over um, some of the research that I've done. I like to – I have an overarching theme with the podcast when I have a guest in. The main thing, of course, is the story. Um, but I like to do research around the story just so that I have um, a little bit of knowledge uh, so that I can kind of ask good questions and hopefully provide a good interview for you guys to listen to and a fun experience for the guest. Uh, so this, these shorts are kind of uh, a little bit of a deeper dive into the research that I've done uh, regarding the topic. So in this one we talk about, uh, I want to kind of go over some of the stuff that happens in national parks. We'll start, I guess, with the statistics. So six people on average die each week in a national park. So that's 300 per year, uh, which is kind of seems like, you know, a lot. But then when you look at it, there's, you know, like 290 million visits each year to, to national parks. So, of course, every life that is lost is, is sucks. It's very tragic. But really, on the grand scheme of things, that's not a huge number. Um so the deaths range from uh, suicide to exposure. One of the articles that I did read, actually a couple of them, kind of went over the fact that the number is probably a lot higher if we look at state parks and BLM land being rolled into that because that stuff's not tracked. I mean, some states track it, but the national database doesn't have, doesn't like track all those things. So they, they say that probably it's closer to 600 people each year um, when you include state parks, and BLM land. I found it strange that the number one cause of death was drowning, which kind of, I guess, caught me off guard a little bit. I guess once I started thinking about it, it sort of made sense because um, they said that a lot of it had to do with uh, weather coming in. Uh, so wind, a lot of times knocking people off of their paddle boards, out of their boats, stuff like that. And then the second cause was uh, alcohol-related incident. Uh, vehicle deaths were second which I guess shouldn't be that surprising because the vehicle deaths are pretty high number everywhere. So, you know, a national park isn't really any different. Um, followed by falls and then suicide. Those were the top four. Um, yeah, the, the amount of people who are rescued each year is quite a bit higher. Um, on average, there's 3,500 to 4,000 people a year who are rescued in the national parks. And that number each year keeps going up because more people are finding the woods to be a great place to hang out, which it really is. You know, the wilderness is uh, is, is really therapeutic. And um, I think more people are kind of leaning on that to escape, you know, what's going on in, in their lives. So they're expecting to see that number jump quite a bit over the over the years because, you know, the number of visits will increase. Um, the, the, the number one reason for rescues did kind of surprise me. Again, and it was fatigue or physical limitations. So it was somebody who had gone out there um, and just didn't, I guess, underestimated the hike a little bit. 
which does happen quite often. Again, in Colorado, we have the, a lot of 14,000 foot peaks and those draw a lot of people from out of state. And there are quite a few people who get up there. Um, you know, they watch YouTube videos or something and it looks like a great time. And then they get on it and realize it's like steep and long, <laughs> you know, it's a day out really, or a couple of days, depending on which peak you're on. Um, so yeah, fatigue, error and judgment was the next reason. So, you know, that's people who, uh, again, kind of overestimate their abilities or get cliffed out or something like that. And then falls was the number three. So, and they were all pretty close together. Um, fatigue was like 20% followed by error and judgment, which was like 12%. And then falls was 10%. So they were pretty close. Uh, most of the rescues, uh, an astounding 45% are from day hikers. And that, that actually doesn't really surprise me. That, that's kind of what we went over a little bit with, with Andrew in, um, in how he got into his situation. You know, because he was at a hunting camp. He packed a day pack too light. Didn't take enough stuff, basically. Um, didn't have his normal routine down. Uh, and he got caught out in the storm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you listen to the podcast, you know. It, it obviously ended with him getting out, which is great. But it was a harrowing experience for him. Um, <clears throat> most of the rescues involved areas in the high mountains. So that would be um, elevations between 5,000 and 15,000 feet, which also doesn't surprise me because that's where, of course, fatigue will really set in. Your physical limitations become really evident when you're up high in the mountains. And your judgment goes down. The falls get crazier. Um, people can get off trail pretty quickly and uh, just cliff out and, and have some real problems. So once again, though, those numbers, although they are climbing pretty substantially, actually, uh, year over year, it's like going up by like 500 people as far as rescues go. Um, but once again, there's 290 million people who visit the parks each year. So it's really kind of a small number. Um, but you should try and be a little bit more prepared. For this podcast, though, I focused on uh, the issues that faced Andrew. So falls and exposure really were the two main reasons, the main things that he was really worried about. Um, based on that information, 85% of the deaths that happen in national parks are accompanied, and this goes for the uh, a lot of the rescues too. It was a smaller number. It was like 70%, but they include, uh, they really... The, the the main situation that happens is that either the person gets caught out after dark and is ill-prepared or they're out for too long and a storm system ends up moving in and then, you know, they have a real problem. So, um, obviously, that it, it just happens. Uh, happened to Andrew. It kind of could happen to anybody. That's That was a scary thing that I realized with Andrew because here's a guy, right? He did four years in the Army where they do map reading, they do survival skills. They do winter survival. They do all this stuff. So he was a trained person, a highly trained person, who got out there and just got his routine jacked. So his wife, you know, had his lymphatic compass because she was doing some training. She's also in the, in the military. Um, and then he didn't have his normal pack. He, he packed too light. And so those two things just, you know, created uh, the perfect uh, storm for him to be caught out like that. Um, so yeah, that kind of put Andrew's uh, story into perspective. 
Um, I know we had talked a little bit about in the podcast about the stages of hypothermia, but we really didn't go over that. So I kind of wanted to just to quickly cover them a little bit, uh, just so that you, you know, if you don't know already, um, but stage, the first stage, you know, you start to shiver, you'll be super cold. Um, the next stage is you'll get confused. That's when you start getting sleepy and they've found a lot of people. This is kind of creepy. They found a lot of people who have died of exposure, uh, particularly hypothermia with their clothes neatly folded next to them. So they'll take off their clothes, they'll fold them up, they'll put them on the ground, and then usually they'll have their shoes on top of them, and they'll just be completely naked out there uh, because they just get confused, they get hot, and then, you know, they uh, they end up perishing. So that was uh, really creepy but interesting uh, stuff that I read. Um, of course, the things that you, there are definitely things that you can do to decrease the chances that you're going to find yourself in that situation. Of course, check your weather reports. That's a big one. They're pretty accurate. And, um, you know, especially here in Colorado and, uh, don't, you know, don't get caught out, you know, in the big, in the high mountains, ill-prepared in the afternoons, especially in the summer, because summer storms come almost every day, (laughs) uh, at the 14, in the 14,000 foot peaks. So, you know, just be weary that you got to leave early, get out early, um, you know, pack extra clothing, uh, especially in the fringe months, the fall and the spring, you got to make sure that you bring extra layers just in case you get caught out overnight, you get lost, something bad happens, you get injured, whatever you have, at least some supplies, bring extra water, those types of things. Even in the summertime in the high mountains, it gets really cold at night. You know, it won't get quite to freezing, but it'll get into the forties pretty regularly. So, you know, you just want to make sure you have extra clothing. Um, of course I had talked with Andrew about an ELT, an emergency locator transponder. They, um, I gave the example of the Garmin inReach, uh, which I highly recommend. It's 450 bucks, um, which seems kind of steep, but it could be the, the difference between you getting rescued and you dying out there. So really you can't really put a price tag on that in my opinion. And with the inReach, it, um, you know, you, Ideally, you won't lose any satellite signal. It uses a couple of different um, versions of GPS signals, satellite signals. So you should have coverage basically wherever you are. Uh, And you're able to set up a couple of different things. You you know, if you're in some really treacherous terrain and you're by yourself, you can set up these check-ins. So if you don't check in, you set an interval. And if you don't check in in that time, then uh, an emergency... uh, you know, your emergency contacts are, are sent a text message that you set up. Um, that way, if you fall and you get knocked unconscious or something, it's still, they can still find you. So that's pretty cool. And then you can send text messages letting people know that you're okay and you've made it to this campsite or you've made it to this elevation or you've made it. You know, they can kind of track you along the way. And emergency um, rescue crews can find you based on the information in the inReach, which is, um, I think, worth every penny of the 450 um, the other thing is just let people know where you're going, right? I mean, especially if you're going alone, even if you're going in groups, but especially if you're going alone, right? Let someone know, hey, I'm going to this trailhead. I anticipate that it's going to take me this long. You know, if you don't hear from me by, say, dark or whatever, you know, let somebody know because I'm in trouble. Um, that's 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 pretty huge because a lot of times, you know, people won't communicate where they're going. The only reason that they uh, realize that you've, gone missing is, you know, 
they find your your vehicle abandoned somewhere in a parking lot and now they've you know they start to panic and they have to go find you and stuff so just let somebody know where you're going and fall, and stick to that plan you know go to the trailhead that you had said you were going to go to and do the hike you were supposed to do those types of things so uh, one of the things that I did find interesting as well is the national database doesn't really keep track of people who have gone missing um, and haven't been found either alive or dead. It's just something that they don't, they don't really track. Um, the number that I could find was there's like 1600 open cases still where people have, have not been found. Uh, this dude named David Politis, he runs the missing 411 project. He's written a couple of books about the stories of, uh, you know, the articles of clothing, how the people get lost, um, things like that, uh, which are pretty interesting. I've read a couple of them, uh, and they're 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 pretty interesting, honestly. So, if you want to give that a look, uh, his name is David Politis, missing four one one. And uh, if you've had any close calls, <clears throat> or you want to share any stories or anything like that of getting lost in the woods or any. Um, any recommendations that you have that I've missed in this uh, short, feel free to uh, drop us a comment on our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com forward slash this ordinary life podcast. Uh, yeah, give us a like, follow us, the whole whole shebang. We really appreciate everybody who who is listening and any feedback uh, is very welcome. So, uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. You can check out new episodes. The shorts are on the first of the month for the podcast, the previous month. And the interviews and full-length podcasts are on the 15th of every month. So thank you again for listening. Appreciate you.